Isn't God good? Let's just pray for a moment, shall we? Holy Spirit, we invite you right now to come and fill this atmosphere. We ask that you would guard this culture. We pray that nothing would disturb or interrupt what you're about to do today. We pray for peace. And we ask that as we open up our hearts and our souls right now, that you would speak directly to us. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Amen. I don't know about you, but as I've been reflecting on the past number of weeks, I felt as though the kind of general feeling is a wee bit flat. And that sounds a bit daft after where we've just been, but I kind of come to that place of feeling a wee bit flat myself. Don't get me wrong, I feel that God has been speaking to us and God has been moving, but there is that sense of just feeling a bit flat. And I don't know if anyone else has felt like that. You know, I kind of reflect on the fact that over the past couple of years, we've been on a bit of a journey and, and thankfully we're coming to a place where hopefully we're going to stop talking about it. But, but it kind of feels like in this point in time, we are at a place where actually we're at the freest that we've been in a long time. But even although that is the case, it feels a bit flat. And spiritually emotionally, I know from talking to different people, there is just that feeling, of, that feeling of flatness. And I think that God would seek to minister to that today. If you have your Bible, would you turn with me to Luke chapter 15? This is a well-known passage of Scripture, and I know that this is a well-known passage of Scripture, that this house will have visited many times, and his prayer permit me to visit it again one more time. Luke chapter 15 and verse 11. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will sit out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. 
Meanwhile, the elder son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. This parable is one that sits within the group of three. The parable of the lost coin, the parable of the lost sheep, and the parable of the lost son. And in the other two parables, the story is told of something being lost. A sheep wanders away and becomes lost and has to be sought out and retrieved by the shepherd. A coin is lost from a collection of ten. And the woman to whom the coins belong turns the whole house upside down until she finds that which has been lost. And the thing that strikes me about these two parables compared to the one that we've just read is that in both of them, something has become inadvertently lost. Whereas this parable that we're exploring is quite different. It's called the parable of the lost son. And the question that we immediately need to ask and the phrase that we keep on using is the lens that we view this whole parable through today then is the question of in what way is the son lost? He chooses to go on a journey to a distant country. He knows exactly where he is because he's able to navigate his way home. He's not lost in the way that the sheep wander off and couldn't find its way back or in the way that the coin went missing and became misplaced, the son is lost in an entirely different way. He's not missing. He's not wandered. It's not about him losing place or even losing his coins. He knows exactly where he is and he knows exactly what he's doing. He intentionally journeys to a different country. He intentionally squanders his money. So he's not lost in the sense that he's been misplaced. He's not lost in the sense that he's missing. The sense of being lost is in relation to his heart. We see this when he turns to his father and says, Father, give me my share of the estate. This request is quite a profound one. It's not a business case that he puts to him. It's not a proposition for financial management. Give me my share of that and I'll look after it for you. It's not even a proposal that he puts to his father that would allow him to perhaps release some pressure and some stress and think about semi-retiring. No, this statement actually reflects something that's going on in this guy's heart. He's lost. His request basically says to his father, I wish you were dead. I don't want to wait until you're dead to get what's mine. I want it now. I want to live as though you're dead. I want to live as though you're not there anymore and I've got what's coming to me. I don't want to live as the son under the father. I want to live as my own guy. Something's going on inside this guy's heart. His heart is distant from the father. His heart is lost. What is lost is his sense of sonship. A sense of sonship that sees him say to the father, I don't want to live as father and son. I, I want to be my own man. And this is the journey he goes on. He goes on a journey of finding himself. And we talk about that, don't we? We talk about people finding themselves. We 
talk about it particularly in relation to our young people, that they need to go on a journey of finding themselves. We talk about it particularly when perhaps young people or people decide to step away from the church or decide to step away from faith, and we're talking about how they need to go on that journey of finding themselves. This man goes on a journey of finding himself. He leaves the father's house. He journeys to a country of his own choosing. He spends all of his money doing the stuff that he wants to do. And in the pursuit of pursuing pleasure, he squanders all of his money. Scripture says, after he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country. And he began to be in need. A famine hit. The son quickly had to learn the important lesson that whether you're the master of your own destiny or not, you can't control the cause and the course of life. Whether you're the master of your own destiny or not, you can't control the circumstances of life. The circumstances of life are uncontrollable, unpredictable, and at times incredibly uncomfortable. And he finds himself in an uncomfortable situation. So it says he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed his pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but nobody gave him anything. Life has taken a pretty severe turn for this young son who finds himself in a field feeding pigs and wishing that he could share breakfast with them. And then it comes to the big line. When he came to his senses... The literal translation from this phrase from the Greek is when he came to himself. See, there's a moment in which the young son realized that in trying to find himself, he'd actually lost himself. And here's what happened. The circumstances around him caused him to reflect on where he's at and on what's going on and how he's got there. And he comes to the conclusion that actually he's lost. He's tried to find himself and he's lost himself in the process. He's made some decisions. He's ventured down some pathways. He's made some misguided choices. He's experienced some stuff in life and in the process, he's lost. Not geographically, because he knows exactly where he is and he knows exactly how to get himself home. But in his heart, he's lost. Look at what he says to himself. How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. This statement is the confession of a lost boy. And he's lost on so many levels. In fact, we see it when we read it, the varying levels by which he's lost. He's lost spiritually. He says, I've sinned against heaven. The first place of recognition that he comes to is the fact that he's sinned against heaven. Now that suggests that the journey that he's been on up until now perhaps is not the most wholesome. And certainly the scripture reflects that when it says that he spent all of his wealth on wild living. Oh, matron. Now, we we don't know what that means, right? We don't understand what that means. But what it does suggest is that whatever direction that journey went on, it has dented him spiritually. 
He has come to the place of realizing that this journey that he's been on, everything that he's been through has had an effect on his spirituality, on his connection with God, on his spiritual standing. He is lost spiritually. But he's also lost emotionally. He's lost his peace. He begins to use words like, I'm not worthy. And we view that as a statement of humility, which in many senses it is. But actually what it points to is an emotionally broken individual who internally in his view of himself and internally in his view of where he's at and what's going on, he is a broken man. He says, I'm not worthy. I've made poor decisions. I have done stuff. He's lost emotionally. And he's lost his identity. He says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He has completely lost sight of who he is. It's not his life journey that makes him a son. It's not his life decisions that makes him a son. It's not his career pathway. It's not his financial investments or his financial management decisions that makes him a son. He's a son because he's born. That's what makes him a son. But he's lost sight of this. It's his birthright to be his father's son. Doesn't matter where he is, doesn't matter what he's doing, he will always be his father's son. Nothing can change that, but yet he believes that he has changed that. And he comes and he says, I'm not worthy to be even called your son. He's lost his identity. And he's lost his sense of purpose and direction in life. He's in a field with pigs, wishing that he could share a meal with them. Meanwhile, his father's hired hand, his father's hired servants are eating better than him. He's an heir to that kingdom. He's an heir to that empire. This is not where he is meant to be. And all of this happened. He's lost spiritually, he's lost emotionally, he's lost his identity, he's lost his sense of purpose and direction. All of that happened because he lost sight of his sonship. He lost sight of the importance of being his father's son. He didn't want to be his father's son. He wanted to be his own guy. He didn't want to live within his father's home and within his father's family. He wanted to go his own way. So he left the father's house and he pursued his own destiny and he ended up lost. The son chose to move out of the place of the father's love for him. He chose to move from living within the father's love for him. Now the reason that Jesus tells this story is to teach us about the welcome of God. And the welcome of God is huge. And I think this is something that we need to grasp in our church world today, that the welcome of God is massive. You don't need to look like us. You don't need to believe like us. You don't even need to have your orientation in the right path. You don't even need to think and look and identify the same way as us. You are welcome in God's heart. His welcome is massive. And Jesus tells this parable to teach us about the welcome of God and the father in this story paints a picture of God as our heavenly father and the whole story carries a warning about moving out of the place of the father's love. Now don't misunderstand or misinterpret what I'm saying here because the truth is there is nowhere that we can go that is outside his love for us. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. 
There is never a moment that the Father stops loving us. There is never a moment that the Father stops extending his love towards us. And we see that when we read of the waiting Father watching for his Son, running to him, bowling him over with affection. There is never a moment that God doesn't love us, but there are moments when we don't live in his love for us. And that's important. There's never a moment that he stops releasing love to us. But there are moments when we don't live in the experience of his love. Moments when we lose sight of our sonship. Moments when we distance ourselves from him and get a little bit lost. And for some of us, it's an intentional thing. I just want to be the master of my own destiny for a wee bit. I just want to pursue the things that I want to pursue. I just want to do the things that I enjoy, the things that bring me pleasure. I'm focusing on the big things in my life right now, the, the things that need to take up my attention and my energy. In this season, I'm just focusing on my family right now, or actually, I just need to focus on work for a little bit right now, or, or I just need to focus on my studies right now, or I just need to focus on the caravan that I bought and I'm going to go and spend my weekends there, or I just need to focus on the football that the kids need to get to, or the dancing that the girl or the boy needs to be at, and, and, and church will follow into that and that's okay now don't get me wrong I'm not saying that church is the epicenter of our relationship with God but I'm yet to meet someone that has stepped away from church and found themselves going deeper in relationship with Christ as a result sometimes it's an intentional thing I'm just focusing on the big things in life right now and gradually and slowly devotion wanes and the heart hardens and the spiritual flame dulls because in those moments, whether we realize it or not, God is dethroned from the heart and the self and desires are put in his place. But you know, there's also moments when it's not about intentional decisions or intentional dis distancing. There are moments when it's just the circumstances of life. It's just the stuff that's going on around about us and the stuff that we're going through it's just the trial and the tribulation. It's just the crisis. It's just the difficulty. It's just the pandemic that we've come through and we've, we've done our best to just keep on keeping on and we've come out the other side and when we come out the other side, we actually realize, hang on a minute, I'm a bit lost. Don't know when it happened, don't know how it happened, but I'm lost. Whether it's intentional or whether it's not, we all end up in moments in life where we feel lost, lost spiritually. Lost in the sense that the connection that once was there is now there no longer. Where we struggle to connect with God, to, to feel that intimacy that we once felt and we call out and we say that the heavens are brass, but actually the truth is we become spiritually numb. Sometimes even spiritually dead. We're lost spiritually. We can become lost emotionally. We lose our peace. We tell ourselves, I'm not worthy. I've done stuff. I've made decisions. I've behaved in certain ways. I've acted in certain ways. I've had certain thoughts. I've interacted in particular ways. And I'm not worthy. And we lose our peace. 
or we lose our identity. We don't know who we are anymore. We've lost sight of ourselves in the chaos and the busyness and just the journey. We've come through this pandemic. We've come through the crisis. We've come through the difficulty. We've come out the other side. Freedom is just round the corner. Deliverance and victory is in sight. And when we take stock, we actually realize we've kind of lost who we are somewhere along the way. Stuff that we've been through, the stuff that we've journeyed, our souls have picked up things along the way and unless we process those and handle those properly, then actually they begin to cripple us or they begin to dent us and we begin to lose sight of who we actually are as unprocessed raw emotions begin to take over. And we can lose the sense of purpose and direction in life. We live with the feeling of lost opportunities regrets, what ifs. Or we come to that place, I don't know if you've ever been there, where you come all the way through it and you're out the other side and you take stock of where you are and you think, this is not where I'm meant to be. And this is not what I want to be or where I want to be. And that is a sobering, difficult realization moment. You know, for the son in the parable, It was the circumstances of life that gave him his light bulb coming to his senses moment. It was the hunger in his belly because of the famine around him that caused him to come to himself. And sometimes it's the storms of life. Sometimes it's the difficult season. Sometimes it's the pain, the loss, the trial, the tribulation. It's the crisis. Sometimes it's coming right through the other side of a pandemic situation and seeing freedom in sight that causes us to assess our hearts, to look at what's going on inside, to look at the landscape of the soul and to realize, actually, I'm lost. In this parable, the son is totally broken. And he begins his journey home. Before he's even managed to say his rehearsed speech, his father sees him. His father feels for him. His father runs to him and embraces him. Text says, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. I just love this verse and the actions of the father. Before the son was even in proximity to the house, the father sees him and his heart swells with love for him. When the son made the decision to return to the boundaries of his father, the text says the father saw him, ran to him, and threw his arms around him. The original Greek actually says he threw himself on his neck. Sounds sore. But it's that concept of the father rugby tackling his son in a hug, in an embrace. The father knocked his son off his feet with affection. He ran to him. The father closed the gap that the son had created. And he ran to him and he kissed him. When we choose to return to living in the experience of the father's love, the father runs to us. He closes the gap that we created. He comes close and he kisses the soul to life. And the picture here is absolutely breathtaking. 
The son is lost, lost spiritually, lost his identity, lost his peace, lost his purpose, lost his direction. His son is shattered, not as in exhausted, but as in broken. And as the son approaches the father in his brokenness, the father knocks him off his feet with affection and brings him within the embrace of his heart. And notice that all of the father's communication at this point is non-verbal. The son meets instant acceptance. He experiences the father's heart and love for him before it's ever expressed. Before it is ever communicated verbally to him. As he comes to the house, as he comes near the house, he is instantly brought within an experience of acceptance, an experience of embrace, but not a single word is spoken. See, the Father's love for us is not an academic exercise. It is not merely words in a book that we read and therefore factually, academically come to an understanding that we are loved. No, the Father puts his love into expression. And he does so in such a profoundly spiritual way. Romans tells us, you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Received a spirit of sonship. When we hear that word sonship, we think of it as a male word, but it's not. It's not referring to the the male offspring of a father. It's referring to sons and daughters. When the Bible uses this phrase, it's talking about sons and daughters of the living God. And our sonship, according to this passage, is not something that we earn. It's not something that is given by merit or achievement. It's something that we receive. And if we receive it, then that means that what we do, the circumstances that we face, the choices that we make, our actions, our deeds, cannot take it away from us. If it's not earned and it's received, then actually the experience of that is not based on the receiver, it's based on the giver. It's not determined by the receiver, it's determined by the giver, and the giver is one who never stops loving. He is incapable of not loving. It is impossible for God not to love. He lavishes love, he lavishes love, he lavishes love upon us. We cannot lose our status as sons and daughters of the living God. We cannot lose the experience of His fathers, of the Father's love. We cannot remove ourselves from it, we cannot erase it, we cannot stop it, we cannot block it. It's our birthright. It can't be changed, it can't be altered, it cannot be amended, it cannot be erased. We are sons and daughters of the living God. You are a son of the living God. You are a daughter of the living God. I am a son of the living God. I'm not a daughter of the living God. But every single one of us are sons and daughters and that cannot be changed. Our sonship is our birthright. Our spiritual birthright. And our sonship is manifest within us by the Spirit of God by whom we're told we cry, Abba, Father. Only one other person referred to Jesus, or referred to God in that way, and that was Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. We are brought into the same connection with the Father that Jesus possessed through the Spirit of the living God. 
The Spirit of God ministers the intimate heart of the Father within each and every one of us because if the heart is crying, Abba, Father, it must mean the heart is experiencing, Abba, Father. Because it's out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. What's going on in the heart is what comes out of the mouth. So if the mouth is crying, Abba, Father, that must mean that our innermost being is experiencing the reality of the Father's love and this receiving and declaring of the Father's love is all brought about, ministered, manifest by the Spirit of the living God, which means it's a profoundly spiritual happening that is not about words on a bit of paper. It's not about reading that we are loved by God and therefore academically, intellectually understanding and believing it. Actually, it's about the heart experiencing that truth in a profound, in a real, in a manifest way. See, someone can tell you that they love you over and over till they're blue in the face, but words can be cheap. Words can be cheap. Someone can say, I love you, I love you, I love you. They can say over and over and over and over, but when the words that are expressed become experienced by the heart, that's when we know that they're real and true. God's love for us is not some empty philosophical statement written in a book called the Bible. It is the experience of anyone who is born again by the Spirit of God. It is the birthright of every born again believer to live in an experience of God's love for us. The young son returns to the father broken, lost, shattered, Look at what the father does. He dances with his shattered and broken child. It says, the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate because the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the elder son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. The father dances with his lost son. This is so profound. Particularly as the father in this parable points to our heavenly father. When we come to him in our brokenness, He dances with us. He dances with us. Specifically, he dances over us. Zephaniah says, the Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. This describes the actions of the Father. And the word delight and the word rejoice, he will delight in you. He will rejoice over you. This word in both these occasions means in the original language to spin around under violent emotion. The literal translation is to dance, is to skip, is to leap, is to spin in joy. When we come to the Father broken, he scoops us up and dances with us. He dances with us. He brings us into an experience of joy. 
Have you ever been in that moment in Achilles where you're standing at the side of the dance floor in the middle of a dance and someone just grabs you and pulls you on and the next thing you're getting hurtled around the dance floor and before you know it, there's a massive cheesy grin on your face and you're having the time of your life or when you're at a party and someone just pulls you onto the dance floor and starts dancing and as you're busting your shapes and letting loose your moves, there's just this sense of joy that you're swept into. When we come to him broken, he just scoops us up and brings us into where he is and what he's doing. He dances with us. He brings us into the experience of his joy. And then the scripture says he quiets us with his love. The English Standard Version of this says he quietens us with his love. And I often think this is such a contradiction. One minute it's violent spinning round with joy and emotion and the next minute it's quiet. But actually... What's been spoken of is that in this process, God is doing something very powerful in our hearts. Some translations read this as, he is quiet in his love. Which brings us to the point that the NIV is making that we're reading this in. There's no rebuke. When we come to him lost and broken, when we come to him with that feeling of not being worthy because of where we've been and what we've done, There's no chastising. There's no judgment. There's no condemnation. There's no telling off and rebuke. But instead, there's love. And the fact that it says he's quiet in his love or he quietens us with his love shows us that actually it's not about something being spoken but something being experienced. He brings us into an experience of his love and he lavishes us. He just pours his love over us and he rejoices over us with singing. The literal translation there is to exult, which is loud singing or shouts of joy. (laughs) We come to him broken and he starts to shout and sing and express his joy over us. So here's the point when we bring it into the parable. What caused the son to come to his senses? What caused him to come to that place of realizing that he had to go home, that he was lost? It was a severe famine. There was a severe famine that spilled all across the country where he was. He was empty and broken and he comes to the father and what does the father do? He's like, let's throw a party, everyone. Let's have a feast. There's famine in the country, but there's feast in the father's house, which shows that the father's house is not impacted by the conditions of life. The father's house is not impacted and determined by what's going on in the world. Because the father is enthroned above all of that. He's not impacted by the world. He's not changed by the world. He impacts the world and he changes it. He moves and he dances to a different beat and a different rhythm. 
And so when we come to him broken and empty and wounded and covered in bruises and sore and numb and not really sure what we're feeling or if we're even feeling anything, when we come to him in a heap, he scoops us up and he brings us into who he is and where he is. He's enthroned over it all. He dances to a different beat. He moves to a different rhythm and he begins to dance with us. What we see then is that he begins to move us to his beat. He begins to move us to his rhythm. He begins to move us in his direction. He begins to bring us into his culture, into who he is and where he is. You might be numb right now, but the Father isn't. You might feel flat right now, but the Father doesn't. You might feel that you're surrounded by darkness right now, but the Father is not. You might feel crippled with guilt father doesn't. You might be struggling with pain and hurt, but the father isn't. You might feel like you're stuck, but I tell you the father is not. You might feel like you've lost, but the father never does. You might feel like you're on your knees with no way through. You might feel like you're done, but the father has only just begun. He scoops us up. And he begins to dance with us. He doesn't dance to the rhythm of our lives. He doesn't move to the beat that is dictating our movement and our life journey. He moves to his own beat. He moves to his own rhythm. And he begins this process of soul restoration. This dance that he does is the process of soul restoration where he moves us within the boundaries of the culture of who he is. He brings us to where he is and what he's doing. He brings us into his love. He brings us into his joy. He brings us into his peace. He brings us into his forgiveness. He brings us into his freedom. He brings us into his victory. He brings us into his heart. He brings transformation. Psalm 30 speaks of this. The psalmist says, he's turned my mourning into dancing. He's moved me from where I was to a place of dancing. And here's the result. He's removed my sackcloth and clothed me in joy. He's changed the very culture of my soul. He's transformed where I am and what I'm doing. I don't know where you are right now. I don't know what's going on in your world right now, but do you perhaps feel lost? We come through a difficult period and we've come through a difficult time and freedom is literally less than 24 hours for us as a church around the corner come to that place where even though it's within grasp it feels a bit flat maybe we picked up some stuff on that journey that we're carrying in our soul maybe maybe just maybe we're lost a little bit and we've kept on going and kept on going and the face mask isn't the only mask we're wearing we put on the front and we've kept doing what we're doing but truth is somewhere along the way we're lost spiritually not feeling that connection that we once did 
lost emotionally. We've just lost that peace that we once had. Lost our identity. Not really secure in who we are. What we're doing. Processing some really raw stuff. We've lost purpose and direction. We've come to that point we're actually coming out of this, we take stock and go, do you know what? This isn't where I want to be. Maybe you're lost. But let me tell you, when you take one step towards him, he comes running the rest of the way. And bowls us over with his affection and his love. Brings us into the experience of his heart. He scoops us up he begins to dance he begins the dance of the father where he brings us into where he is and who he is he lifts the culture of our soul into the culture of his presence and he begins to restore our innermost being if that's you just come to the father just come to the father this morning would you stand with me please